What's going on, everyone? Back here for another episode of Golf on Tap. As always, I'm Jack Bushman, joined by Ross Barron. But today is a special episode of Golf on Tap because we're very pleased to have on none other than Mark Malotz, better known as Mark the Caddy on X. You can make sure to go and give him a follow on there for some great caddy stories. And as I've noticed since I've been following Mark, some other hilarious posts along the way as well. You may also recognize him as the author of Caddy Tales, a looper search for lost golf balls and what he found instead he's also recently started the caddy tales podcast he's booming on social media uh, i'll have all the links and everything down low in the description so everyone listening or everyone viewing out there will be able to go and check them out mark i know we've been uh prepping for this for the last couple of weeks you and ross have been in touch i know we're both very excited to have you on and on behalf of both of us thank you very much for joining the show how is life treating you today brother well, it's my pleasure, my privilege to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, I can't complain. And uh, as we were just talking off air, have had a nice, mild Wisconsin winter. So that gets the uh, juices flowing for the excitement of starting a new season of caddying. And uh, I'm excited. I actually, tomorrow is going to be February what, 27th, and I am playing golf here in the state of Wisconsin. Never, ever would I have dreamed that. So what do I have to complain about? <laughs> Absolutely. It started to, uh, I'm here in the Chicagoland area. It started to heat up here a little bit as well. And I've been seeing some folks golfing. So I've been starting to get that itch myself to get back out there and hopefully make this season a good one. Um, but Mark, I figure where we kind of start this conversation is with your book, Caddy Tales. And I know uh, you dove in there heavily about how it was an unexpected up and down type of journey to kind of get to this point where you are right now. And for all the listeners and, and viewers out there who might not be as familiar, would you kind of uh, mind going into detail about what kind of led you to becoming a caddy? How did you end up at Whistling Straits and uh, everything in between that's led you to this road? Yeah. Uh, thank you for the question. I wish that I could say it was a, uh, a fun story to tell. It's uh, rather embarrassing and, and rather hard still to talk about it. In my past, I actually, uh, my first career was that I served as a pastor. And many of your listeners may be familiar with that as they go to churches. And, and the reality is many may not, or they may have a, a picture of what that is. Without getting too deep into it, I'll just say it's it's a grueling, grueling profession. Uh, one that is not only uh, you know physically demanding, you work long hours when people think maybe you work one day a week, uh, but it's emotionally and spiritually draining. And you know, just picture all the worst things you see on a social media site like Twitter or X or any of the other sites and understand that like a pastor is dealing with that on a regular basis in much more intimate and personal ways. And so you have to be prepared for it. And the reality of the matter is that I was not, I just uh, did not go into it prepared for the journey. And because of that, I experienced a lot of um, anxiety and depression and when you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, when you feel lonely and isolated, you tend to look for ways to make yourself feel better. And um, there's a whole slew of ways that people do that. We know uh, for me, I really uh, drank too much and abused alcohol. 
And then that led to other poor choices, the misuse of money that wasn't mine to misuse and not to get rich, but, you know, excessive gift giving for people or looking to be the hero and step in to fix situations. And uh, it was all misguided attempts to kind of feel better. And the more you do stuff that you know isn't right, the worse you feel. And so then you try to cover it up more and more. So that's a kind of a long-winded way to say I was just a total mess. And eventually it just all came tumbling down the house of cards that I had kind of built my life on. On the outside, it looked great. I have a wonderful wife. I have four amazing kids and uh, things look good. But on the inside, I was just completely torn apart. So one day I just found myself without um, my vocation, without a church and uh, really needing to start all over again. And that's a tough thing to do when you are in your 40s. And uh, <clears throat> I really didn't know what was going to happen. But we decided we were going to move to Wisconsin. My wife grew up in Wisconsin, and she has a wonderful family. And so we said we're going to go there and have the support of that. And uh, I'd look for some work. One day, years earlier, um, at Christmas, my brother-in-law had mentioned to me that he thought caddies at Whistling Straits Golf Course did really well. And it was just kind of like uh, an aside because their family farm was like a mile and a half away from there. So it wasn't talking about me being a caddy or anything like that. It was just something that I remember uh, because I was, I was so felt so trapped. I, I, my ears perked up when I heard stuff like that. So I remembered him saying that uh, when I needed a fresh start. And so I threw out an application and um, I ended up coming for some training and getting the job. And it was meant to be a stopgap, like, a, you know, I really intended it to be a one season thing to just kind of get our life in order, figure some things out. And one thing has led to another, and it's just been such a huge and tremendous blessing in my life. I have met so many great people. I um, have benefited so much from the life, and I'm so thankful for it. And so in my book, Caddy Tales, um, I write about some of those lessons that I've learned uh, some of the ways that I've observed on the golf course that uh, life mirrors golf. And I've tried to take some of those lessons and apply them then to my own life. And then I've also uh, tried to take some of the things I've learned and some of the hard lessons I've learned and impart them in uh, little ways that I can to golfers to help make their experience go a little bit better. So on a whim, basically, you wind up caddying. Did you... You didn't have any experience as when you were younger whatsoever. You just kind of, no. like you know, I had played golf in like church golf leagues. Um, but I was, I'm a high handicap golfer. I'm not a passionate golfer and it wasn't a huge part of my life. Like if you would have said to me six years ago, you're never going to golf again. It wouldn't have been like this horrible thing, you know, like I wouldn't have been devastated to hear it. And uh, it's not something that I envisioned. I remember actually in the phone interview um, that I had, like right when I applied, they do a little phone interview to see like if you should even go to the next step. And I remember two questions I was asked. One was uh, how many clubs go in a bag? And I guessed correctly, 14, but I did not really know that's the number, you know? 
And then, um, cause I'm just, I'm also a laid back guy about that kind of stuff. So even if I was a big golfer, it wouldn't be something I was real worried about. Right. And then the other one was what's a four caddy. So to tell you how ignorant it was, I didn't know what a four caddy was as recently as, uh, the end of 2018. And, uh, so, but somehow, some way I like, tricked them into letting me come for an in-person interview and the training and stuff. But yeah, it was not a big part of my life at all. It was, it was literally desperation. Let's do something to feed my family while I have some other things that I uh, can maybe get together. And what were, what would you say were your kind of emotions stepping into caddying? What were your, your biggest fears or what, what were kind of your biggest concerns about kind of having to learn that on the fly? Yeah. So there's, there, there's two really big ones. One was physical. Like I, I remember, um, barely being able to walk like my first week of doing it when I was done with a, like, it was, it was like your hands are seizing up and you're just like almost crippled out there because your body needs to get used to carrying two bags on your shoulders. So physically I was really scared about that. And, um, then secondly was, you know, and this was more, this wasn't maybe as much of a concern as the physical one, only because I didn't know what I was getting into enough to be too scared about it. But I was like, a, a golfer's going to ask me something. I'm going to have no clue, you know, what the answer is. And, and right away on my, you know, my first loop ever was this nice gentleman from Savannah, Georgia, nice Southern gentleman. And we were out there with a veteran caddy who was meant to be like the lead guy. But the second day, I got thrown to the wolves and I'm out there with guys who are like low handicapped golfers playing the back tees. And, uh, they knew more golf than I could have ever hoped to at that point. And it was like, you're kind of embarrassed and you're, you're just scared. And then they're like, what do you think this putt's going to do? And you're like, well, this is the second time I've ever seen a ball putt on this green. So I, (laughs) I have no idea. Let me guess. And (laughs) was that way. Yeah. So there's a little bit of uh learn, you know, baptism by fire, learn on the job. And that's pretty scary when you're dealing with people who are kind of, there's a lot of really high functioning uh, professionals that we meet out on the course and they expect the best. And so um, thankfully I was um, humble enough to really learn from the veteran caddies that I was placed with on a loop to kind of follow their lead and ask them for help when I needed it. I came to it with zero cockiness. <laughs> Might've been so, the best way to go about it. Yeah. So, so Mark, my, my biggest question is I know I'm sure things have changed over time as you've gotten more and more into the caddying, but like you said, you do have the big players come to the course expecting the best. What do you tell them your handicaps at? now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I write about this in caddy tales and, uh, my co-host on my podcast, Nick, uh, one day, you know, I was noticing when we would caddy together, people would ask him his, his handicap and he would say seven. And so then we ended up going golfing at Aaron Hills and legit. Um, it was maybe the second time I had golfed that year and we were pretty close, you know, like, uh, I shot like 101. He might have been in the nineties, but you know he's a good enough friend that I'm like, dude, you are not a seven handicap. <laughs> he goes, I know, I know, but uh, I got to tell people that so that I have credibility out there. And I'm like, from now on, I'm a seven handicap. <laughs> and so, 
And so I, I actually went through a stretch where I was telling people that now I just tell people, you know, I don't get to play a lot and, uh, and stuff. So, because I feel 10 times more confident with my ability out there. And, and to be honest, I don't think you have to be, once you really like when you work at a course day in and day out and, and stuff, you don't, you don't really have to be a great golfer yourself to caddy effectively. And uh, so as I've grown in my confidence, I don't worry about it as much. How, how long would you say it, it took for you to get that confidence in both yourself and the knowledge of the course where you really actually started to feel comfortable in what you were doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I would say everything, but reading greens uh, comes relatively quickly. I would say, you know, one of the things that I I think I do well and my fellow caddies just do amazing is really judging what a ball is, what a, you know, a distance and then adjusting for the wind or whatever. Uh, that, that just seemed to come pretty naturally. You learn what the aiming points are pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, being confident on the greens, I would say really the whole first season there's a little bit of trepidation there. And, uh, and especially if you were someone who, with someone who maybe is slamming their club or acting really intense or whatever, it's not so much that you don't know it. It's you don't feel confident saying it now. It's like, you feel you, you say it and you're confident and you know, if they miss it, they miss it. You don't like, let it affect you. But that first year it was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to hate me. They're not going to tip me or whatever. You're a little bit scared like that. Right. And you don't know the, the ins and outs of kind of how it works. And, you know, when it's your livelihood on the line, as you said, making this transition, not, you know, a lot of young people are, are the ones who are caddying and starting at an early age is something you see pretty common. So you're a pretty unique story and going into that situation literally with no prior experience or not just sure what to expect whatsoever on top of having to learn everything on the fly must've been kind of like a, a double yeah. whammy. There's very few people with my demographic. It's like the caddies are either guys my age, but they've been doing it for 20, 25 years. And then uh, there's the young guys who come who have a, usually our young guys are pretty passionate golfers and that's why they're caddying and they're using it as a, either a college job or a gateway into the industry in a broader way. And so there's very few people who are like, Hey, I'm 40 something. And I just blew up my life and I need a new career <laughs> and I'm going to go start caddying. I mean, I, I think I'm the one at my course. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Let's just go and try this out. See if it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing, one thing that you alluded to is, you know, some of the hothead golfers, the guys that slam their clubs, everything, were you able to just kind of take that in stride when you started compared to now, or was that something that you kind of had to learn to develop where you really want to say something, but I'm just going to hold it in or has just yeah. kind of always been, you know, it, it's not me. I'm not going to let it affect my day. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's the beauty of this job in comparison to my former life is I always had somebody complaining about something to me in my former life, but like, it was this deep, intimate relationship. You know, you'd, you'd do something or walk alongside somebody for years and bend over backwards or whatever. And then one day uh, church goes too long or their kid doesn't like an activity or something. And they're all over you or they leave the, those types of things like hurt, like we're soul crushing pain. The beauty of caddying is you see some of the same behavior exhibited, but at five hours, you wave goodbye 
And, uh, and so that's been some freedom that to me has been amazing. Uh, but the second thing I would say is we had some really good guys training us. And I really took, when I learned some of the best caddies in the program have guys who treat them like dirt every now and then that was like freeing also, because you're like, you realize it's not really about me. Most times there's no doubt there's days you screw up, you know, you just don't see something right or you don't communicate effectively. Absolutely. But I'm talking about those things where you just have somebody who is like got these unrealistic expectations or they just have a bad temper or whatever. Well, it happens to, the caddy of the year. It happens to the best caddies in the program. I've seen people, you know, get mad at them. And there's just was something like freeing about that. Cause you're like, if it, if, if it happens to them, then it's really not about them and it's not about me. And so I can kind of not take it to heart and I can uh, move on. And then how, how long do you think, into your caddying journey, did you foresee this possibly being something you would do long-term or even realize this was something you wanted to do long-term? I know you said originally it was kind of like a one season thing to get everything back on track. Uh, how, how long did it take for you to kind of recognize this, this is something that could be a career? Uh, well, I would say that the thing that really probably impacted that the most is that COVID came after my first year. And so now all of a sudden you have these limited options out there or changed options. And so um, there, the, the second, that was my second year of COVID, the lockdown and all that happened pre-second season. And the golf industry was the one that benefited the most out of COVID. I mean, it was, it, you hate to say it, but it was like the best thing that ever happened to golf in a lot of ways, unless you're somebody who's upset that golf courses are crowded now. But uh, it was, it was really a, a cool thing in a lot of ways because people went to golf courses. So we worked and it was, it was great. The following season or the following off season, I worked at a cheese factory and I had thoughts then about, okay, try to move up in that, you know, profession become a manager of some sort. And uh, I think that door was, it was open, you know, the factories around here definitely promote from within. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, I, I think that I, there was a point during that off season where I thought I really had to wrestle with, am I going to stay here and have the stability of a real job? Um, one that's valued more by the kind of agrarian, uh, influences of, you know, Southeast Wisconsin people, people value hard labor in that regard. Um, or was I going to have kind of the instability of the golf life? And ultimately I just, the golf kept calling me back. It kept pulling me back. And I, I just knew that I would miss it too much. And, um, Cause not only do I really like the work, but the camaraderie with the other caddies became necessary for me as I uprooted my life and moved somewhere where I don't know people and uh, where I need to be around some folks that um, you can, you know, you have some fun with, but also it's a pretty non-judgmental community. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I just, 
kept getting drawn back. And so then that was when I kind of decided, oh, for kicks and giggles, I'm going to start a Twitter account, which was a very random thing. Like it was just one night I was bored <laughs> and uh, I did it and I started throwing some stuff up there and stuff now that I wouldn't put up there. Cause it was a bit, probably a little more, um, I don't know, critical of golf or, you know, it wasn't quite as positive as I try to be on there, but I was trying to get eyes or whatever. Uh, but that was a very random thing. And, uh, but then I said, okay, we'll see, what see what this does. And that's kind of taken off in a way that I, uh, haven't expected it to. I mean, it's not like you make a bunch of money from it or I'm going to retire on it or anything like that, but, uh, there's no doubt it has scratched an itch in my life to be, feel like I'm a part of something. And, uh, I had missed that, you know, a little bit. And so caddying and the golf life and the golf community has really, probably been more meaningful to me than it has to a lot of other people. And that's an interesting thing to say, considering I'm probably, I mean, I'm certainly not as good at golf as many people and I'm, I'm not as serious or passionate about it, but the whole lifestyle I've become serious and passionate about. I think the yeah, most it, what, I, Wisconsin, it, go ahead, Ross. Sorry, buddy. No, I, I was going to say, I, I, I can definitely, I think me and Jack can both relate where to that, where, you know what the that scratching that itch word i got pulled off the street by on tap sports five months ago to be up here and doing these kind of things and it still blows my mind i have these opportunities but one thing i did really want to ask um you mentioned that you were that you caddied through you caddied through like co through the covid and everything and i want to know first of all did they institute the pool noodles and the cups at <laughs> And second of all, if they did, is that where you saw the lowest rounds you've seen shot? Because no, no. shooting at the noodle. <laughs> no, no, actually, they might have early at the, at the very beginning. But no, we actually had a very normal. They did try to have every caddies wear masks. But uh, to be honest, that made the golfers more uncomfortable than anything. Like, I get why maybe there was this corporate pressure to say caddies wear masks. But you know, I think everyone in hindsight would agree that that wasn't necessary. And so right after the first tee box, most caddies would pull it down because go I, I, my big thing was, was caddies. I mean, the players hated it. They're like, we're going to have you guys lugging two bags around for us in the heat with a mask on. And, uh, and then there was even issues that year with water on the course. Cause they weren't putting water out where they had normally. Right. It. it was kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it was pretty normal and, um, <clears throat> uh, no, but the year, the, the best round I ever saw was the COVID year. And, uh, so, but no, that was just, uh, an alcohol induced fury of, uh, adrenaline or something, but, uh, that guy killed it. Speaking of, uh, I, alcohol, uh, alcohol induced adrenaline. I think we got to talk about the Ryder cup at whistling straights. A lot of booze flowing there. Um, just kind of your, when I bring up the Ryder Cup from 2021 at Whistling Straits, what are kind of the first things that come to mind? I'm sure that had to be an incredible week seeing your course that you're on so frequently yeah. put into the public spotlight and everything. What are your kind of like first memories or your favorite moments and what comes to mind when I bring up the Ryder Cup? Yeah. To be honest, the buildup was way more fun than the actual tournament. Uh, it was cool to see all the stuff going up. One of the, uh, kind of the, uh, unexpected 
things that was awesome about that year was a lot of the plate wastes that they were building stuff were just the perfect aiming spots. So that it was just much easier to tell players where to aim at something that season than it is other years. And, uh, but it, I, I was blown away, literally shocked at how extensive the construction was for that event. I mean, it was fascinating to me how much went into it. Um, and then there was a great source of pride that it's coming to this place that I work, but I went to two practice rounds and uh, that was cool. And I went to the first more, the first day I was one of the people who sprinted to the stands for the, you know, pre-dawn chanting and, you know, the first shots. And uh, that was pretty awesome to be, to be sure. The, my greatest memory though, was the day that I sat in, it must've been Saturday uh, that I sat in my living room you know, on Sunday with my family and um, my wife and kids and whatever. And I got to just sh- share the course with them because they, you know, they, it's a big part of my life, but they don't go out there, you know, they don't play golf right. there. And so, you know, I, and then I had a bunch of friends from Michigan, you know, in my previous life who knew I had become a caddy texting me because I don't think they, most of them aren't like immersed in the golf world. And so they had no idea that it looked like that as uh, I'm telling you, <laughs> you got to turn on your television and see this. So that's what I remember most was that sense of pride about being, uh, you know, working there. And, um, but like, to be honest, the Ryder cup, there's, I don't know if either of you have ever been, but there's, you know, so few groups and all those fans that the congestion is a little more, than uh, you know, an int- you know, uh, somebody who's a little claustrophobic wants to deal with, and things like standing in line for, you know, refreshments or whatever. I think was a, um, the lines got pretty long and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really awesome event, and I hope one comes back again someday. And nothing on. Everyone always asks us, you know, what's next, and we don't know. And uh, it's a place that's built for majors and stuff. So. Yes, sir. Uh, there's not just going to be a regular tour stop there. I don't think so who knows when something will come, but when it does, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. I, I got lucky enough last year being out here in Rochester, we had the PGA championship yeah. here at Oak Hill. And then, um, next year, uh, Ryder cup is at Beth page black, which is about a five hour drive from my home currently. So I'm currently attempting to make it out there, but really what I wanted to ask you is just, on top of your journey and everything, you, you know, you're at Whistling Straits. You, you are at one of the crown jewel golf courses, not just the country, the world. Just how awesome is that, especially yeah. for a, a golf nerd like me, that you get to walk those grounds like yeah. as a career. Yeah. No, there's no doubt that I don't take it for granted. There, Every caddy has their days where they gripe a little bit because, you know, you get tired, but to, you know, some, some days it's harder. The groups are harder than others, you know? So everybody has their days. I'm not going to say that I click my heels uh, and, and hop down the fairway every day. (laughs) Uh, But I generally am able to be more positive than a lot. And, and I know for certain that I do a good job imparting some joyfulness to our guests, you know, like I, I'm, a pretty good ambassador for the place. 
And uh, I just never take it for granted. And people will ask you, does this ever get old? And uh, like I said, there's days where you would rather like not do a second loop or you would rather, you know, get home earlier or whatever. But in reality, the question, does it ever get old? No, I can honestly say every single time I have walked that course, I've looked out on the lake or at something and just been thankful for it. And I hope that continues. And um, it is a special place. You know, I, I've noticed on golf Twitter, there's a, you know, you if you throw out which golf course is the best or whatever, that you could have people debate forever. And I've, I've seen people like, uh, maybe the only course I haven't seen anything negative written about is Augusta. Uh, and then that's maybe the lore of it are all, you know, but, um, I, I, to me, I'll golf other golf courses and there might be some that I love and whatever. There will nothing, there'll never be anything that's as special to me as whistling straights. It's, it's got a part of my heart now. Did you recognize like right off the river? Did you like understand the allure that came with whistling straights when you first started working there? Or did it just so, happen to be that type of golf course? So I'll tell you this. Um, no, I, I, it, we had come and visited in the summer and stuff. And it, like maybe for the first PGA championship, we were there around that time. We had heard about it. Okay. Um, my wife's family, like I said, grew up on a farm around the corner, mile and a half to two miles. Me and my wife literally got married at the church on the corner that is outside the entrance of the, uh, whistling straights, you know, like no way. down the road uh half a mile or whatever a mile and her parents have been like members there since her dad was born 70 some years ago and i bring that up to say i didn't know whistling straights was down the road when i came for my interview that's insane and, uh, <laughs> so you know like <laughs> that's it just didn't mean anything to me like it was it was it meant something to me as far as maybe watching on TV and saying, Oh, cool. That's where my wife is from. But it wasn't like a place that I planned. Like I wasn't like, Oh, some year when we come and visit, I've got to be able to play like that. That never crossed my mind. That's so crazy. I can't believe yeah. that. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that makes it all the better. Right. I was just honest. about to say that. Yeah. It, because like, it's a reminder that, and I say this at the end of my podcast, I write about this in caddy tales, but I really mean it. Um, everybody goes through their stuff. Everybody has some really, you know, rock bottom moments in their life. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be completely honest. There's times where I didn't think I was going to make it through where the, uh, the sense of shame and loss and embarrassment and grief and pain and all of that, was so great that I, I didn't see a future. And so, and, and, and I, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a family to take care of. And so um, I have learned through these last five years that on this side of the ground, you know, nothing's the end of the world except the end of the world. And there's always uh, hope and there's always a next shot. And, and so you learn that, you see that on the golf course, you know, guys blade one, shank one, whatever, but there's always a next shot. I remind, you know, there's, you're one shot away from everything feeling better. You're one shot away from that one that keeps you coming back. And uh, I've learned that in a broader way in life. And so 
I, I, I really want people to believe that from the bottom of my heart. That's remarkable perspective, Mark. So Mark, what I'm, uh, what I'd like to know is, you know, everyone has like that joke in their life. Well, my life's been so interesting. You could write a book about it. Yeah. (laughs) At, at, At what point, like in this journey and like in your career, did you really start to like realize, like, I think I want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I would say early on, I thought, Oh, that'd be, you could write a book out here. Uh, just funny caddy stories, you know? And, and that came kind of quickly. It evolved obviously from there. And I would say that um, it, it, uh, it weighed heavily on my to-do list or desires uh, really for a couple of years. And then uh, last year I decided I just got to sit down and do this because I felt like I had finally come through on the other side of some of the past and it was time to, so the book was like that. Um, it kind of served that, okay, I'm going to go on living life again. I'm going to, it's, it's, it doesn't erase the past. It doesn't mean that I uh, don't still grieve or that I don't, Uh, understand that there's work to do to reconcile and heal relationships. It just means that um, it's time to move forward and try to be positive and be a positive presence in the new life that I've been given. And it may not be, uh, you know, might, might not look the same, but there's a lot of things that um, you, you know, transcend whatever job we're in, you know, we're still called the, be good to others and, and try to help them have a little better day. And, you know, when we're in business, we're all there to serve our clients and, you know, whatever it is. So I, this is the setting that I get to put those things into practice on. And, and I, I will, I will commend you um, just cause I did, I did obviously read the book and you and I chatted about it. I will commend you that that is very apparent in your writing. And I did really appreciate where you kind of talk about, you know, going from the, the darker spots and the darker times, but bring it, bringing into the light what you have right now. And it's very, it's very apparent in your writing and you do a very good job of it. So I do commend you on that. No, so- thank you. And you know, like I have a, I have a unique perspective to know everybody has their stuff. Just not everybody has maybe had it as, as big or as public or whatever, or, or the consequences as grave or, you know, but everybody has their stuff. Everybody has their hurts. Everybody has their baggage and their pain. And um, I, I have, I have no, I have a lot of, a lot more empathy for people than I used to have. And I have a lot more gratefulness for, because life isn't like one big bed of roses. I mean, there's stuff that still needs to be you know, I, I, there's, there's still a lot I want to accomplish. There's still some things that I need to fix and all that. There's still bad days. There's still bad, all that. Uh, but there's more gratefulness for, you know, each day that I do have, um, there's more freedom and, and less stress and all those things. They, they are good things and I'm thankful for them. And it feels like all, all these, life lessons and things that you've kind of realized and just learned along the way. What I I kind of feel is interesting is, and just about the game of golf, you can all kind of apply these to the game of golf as well. And I'm sure um, things about your job in particular as well. How how long did it take you to kind of connect those things and maybe 
kind of change your perspective when you were feeling down and you were battling anxiety? How did your job in the game of golf kind of aid in those ways, if any? Yeah. Uh, you know, right away, I think I, I'd sum it up. I'd say probably the most profound thing is just the sense of community was a healing presence. And golf does that in a great way. It fosters community. I write about this in Caddy Tales, whether it's the Caddy Shack, you know, the community that I found there. Or, you know, there, to me, it's always been special to see these groups get together. And uh, I get to work at a place where maybe the round of golf has a little more buildup and planning to it than your regular Saturday, you know, group that you get together or whatever. And so I tend to meet people more often than not where it's a very special experience, where it's very meaningful. And uh, I, I just was reminded that this is what I want in my life. That we were meant to be in relationships with people that are meaningful. And uh, so right away, I saw how golf did that. And I said, this is, this is the door that is open for me to recapture what has been lost as I've hurt relationships or lost relationships. And so uh, right away I saw that. And then, and then like some of the other stuff where you can kind of like compare <laughs> maybe how somebody acts or behaves on the course to some other, you know, settings or whatever, you know, I'd say as I just got more comfortable out there, my eyes were more opened and I was able to maybe take the leap a little bit. I, the first year though, it was about just not dying and, <laughs> uh, and, and trying to survive and, and act like I knew what was, what I was doing and stuff. So probably the second year I became a little more comfortable. So, so are you, are you officially at the point where if someone asks you a question in regards to like a hole and approach or anything, you can say it with a straight face, well, but still be like, oh, but, but say it with a straight face, but truthfully be like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, I think, uh, I think it, there's no doubt. Like now I can, you know, the course intimately, you know, and so much so that like, I mean, even after somebody hits a tee shot, for instance, you have a pretty good guess to exactly how far it went and how far it is from like their next shot or whatever. I mean, you, you know, uh, that, that, that's, that takes almost no effort. Now, what you do go grow more confident on is, uh, let's say there's just something really hard. Yeah. Like a, a putt that looks brutal or whatever. You're much more open, I think, to say, yeah, good luck. You know, like, uh, you know, like for instance, if something's just on a slope and, you know, to stop, it'd be like putting on an ice rink or whatever, you know, maybe my first year I'd been like, oh, oh you know, they got, now you're like, yeah, it's pretty much unmakeable or whatever, <laughs> you know, like you, you're able to talk more casually with players and stuff. Yeah. It, is it, is it funny to you still? For if you have a player that you know hooks it way off and you and you know knowing the course intimately that thing is gone only for that guy to walk over there and casually just shout found it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah you have those players i mean not and not often it, it there's no doubt the good outweighs the bad in every description it's just the bad stuff tends to make better stories um it's a gentleman's game for sure. And so most people I find to be very honorable out there, which makes it even easier to spot the person who's racing ahead all the time and finding their ball. And, uh, you know, the thing I found is their playing partners all know it too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, I get a kick out of it for sure. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to say I don't care. Uh, but you know, if we're not in some, it, 
that's on them. That's their problem. You know, like if it's not some match for big money or like a tournament that's official or something, I guess I'm not going to care or get worked up too much about how a guy chooses to spend his, uh, his day out on the course. And uh, I don't take it personally or get all worked up about it, but yeah, you see it every now and then that's for sure. And it does make you chuckle. Speaking of stories though, Mark, we can't let you off the hook in terms of, I I know you got to have some good looper stories from over the years. Um, But before we get into that, I did want to ask you, you mentioned that the best route you ever saw at whistling Straits came during COVID. What was that score? And did you have a feeling that was possible in the middle of the round? Kind of, kind of take me through it. No, this was a this was a cool group of guys. Uh, no, it, it was it, you didn't see it coming. It was um, their second round of the day. I, I guess I double looped that day. It was a it had to have been a Friday, and uh, it was a Friday. And they they I remember actually they had played a, another course in the morning, so they came up like we met them as basically our round was about to start because they were playing thirty six that day, and they were already tipsy. And, uh, you know, we had another five hour walk in front right. of me. and this dude shot 69 from the blue tees, you know, 7,100, 7,200 yards. Whew. And just, he was hammered. And what I actually <laughs> like more about his golf, I mean, just hammered. What I like most about his golf more than his golf game though, was a lot of times when guys drink too much out there, uh, they fizzle out at some point, you know, right. like, and it becomes, I don't want to say annoying. That's too harsh of a word, but it's not always as fun as it sounds. I'll say that. And they get tired or they, you know, they, they, they start getting ornery, whatever. This guy just kept getting funnier and more likable. And I can't think of anybody else where I've had that experience with, you know, (laughs) and uh, he was so good. And um, yeah. And then we went with him again a couple days later and uh, like, I didn't think we could recreate the magic. And he shot a 69 again, still drunk, not as drunk, but that day there was a ton of wind. And so that added a whole uh, element to it. And uh, I remember uh, I've conversed with him and I've told him, I tell this story all the time. So I have his permission to anyone out there listening. And, um, but like, it was, it was amazing. But the thing that, sticks with me too about him and uh i thought about it i thought about him this weekend with the with the golf tournament in mexico you had two guys going for their first ever win okay well this guy that i had caddy for he had played college golf d1 college golf and he was like a big time player on his team at a big time program and he tried to go pro and i remember asking him during the round like you know what and he what it was like he hated it he hated the lifestyle. He hated being on the road, you know, because at, at first, and you got to remember the money for golf has grown so much relatively recently, you know, that maybe 20 years ago when this guy had gotten out of college, it wasn't like this. Right. And uh, he, you know, so you're grinding and, and I think maybe it had a pretty good upbringing to where like he knew he had options if he didn't golf. Um, but he hated it. And he said, you know, he was very honest. He just said, the thing that separated me from those guys you see on TV, the top of the league is, is all up here. He goes, he goes, I just didn't have it. And uh, he was very honest about it. Very matter of fact, he like, 
I didn't look down on him for it. And I, I was watch. I thought about him this weekend because I was watching um, the two leaders both go for the first one, and I'm like, well, I know what I know. The, the, what mental fortitude do they have? Are they going to exhibit it? Because I know what I would do. I would absolutely <laughs> fall Probably. apart. I mean, I would I would be com- completely nervous. I'd miss like one foot putts and uh, and whatever. And uh, there was a a hole on the back nine uh, where one of them hit it in the water and then uh the next guy almost hit it into the water and i thought this is it's happening the the mental grind is getting to him and i thought back to that player and uh i'm reminded continuously golf is hard oh yeah Uh, but when you add those stakes to it it becomes much much harder yeah i I think that was one of the first conversations you and i actually had offline was uh was around the time when Nick Dunlap won on tour. And one of our conversations was just he had ice in his veins that he was locked in. Nothing was going to stop him at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, though, I think I might have mentioned uh, that uh, I wasn't sure how he'd do foul. And I think, didn't he come in, like, last place the next tournament that he was in? <laughs> I, mean, it's like, I said, I think he might have a little setback. And, uh, it, I mean, it's just a – to. That whole element of golf is fascinating to me because I, I'll tell you, we, we talk about pace of play a lot and I, I talk about it a lot. I tweet about it. I talk about, besides the fact that I just want pace of play to be, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a player do better because they stand over the ball longer. You know, like it, it's a, it's a, like a legitimate desire to help them be better. Like hit, just get up there and stop thinking so much because I, I don't, I hardly ever see it help anybody. And uh, it just makes them nervous and whatever. And uh, because the mental part of the game is something that serious players just have to really deal with. Yeah. The, uh, the, the fortitude that Jake Knapp showed yesterday to kind of didn't have it going on, on the front yeah. nine, made a couple of early bogeys, but then had a bunch of really clutch up and downs. And like you said, two guys, two rookies on the PGA tour who don't really have a lot of experience to lean on and going for those first wins. I couldn't imagine everything that was going on through their minds. And like you said, golf is a a hard, beautiful game. And when it's going well, it seems so easy, but when it's going bad, it can seem impossible. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'll see guys out there and gals, you know, they have talent, you know, like I I'll tell guys sometimes, like I'm not judging you. I can tell you're a good player. It's just not, you know, it's, it's in your head right now, you know, and, uh, and you got to figure out a way to settle down. Um, I, uh, that, that's, I see it all the time. Guys just, they get the yips or the shanks or whatever. And it just, it, it just overwhelms their psyche. And I'll, I'll be like, you know, I've seen you hit the ball at the range or whatever you, you have talent. So let's just calm down and get back to that. That actually happened, uh, I don't know if either of you saw over over the weekend since we were talking about it, on the DP World Tour, the le- the leader going into the final round got, caught the yips and started shanking everything left and right. Sounds like the DP World Tour. Those finishes are always crazy, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it happens to these amazing players. I mean, I, I'll tell you, like, <clears throat> I've said numerous times the thing that I probably dislike the most about caddying is just unrealistic expectations because it's like, you're, you're not, not only like our professional golfers just at a different level, 
the people we see on TV are even at a different level than a bunch of other professional golfers. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's, uh, we don't see that guy, you know, who finishes last and, you know, knocks one into somebody's yard or whatever, or the person who lips out a three footer, you know, but it happens every single week. And speaking of knocking it into someone's yard, I got to ask about some of the wildest or, or maybe the craziest rounds. When, when I ask for a crazy round, what's what's the first one that comes to mind in, in your days of caddying? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know that's kind of vague, but. Yeah, you know, you know I, I'd say that there's, you know, you have probably not golf related. When I think of a crazy round, I'm thinking about just guys who get a little rowdy and they're playing music and drinking a bunch and flirting with, you know, the cart girls or whatever. Um, you know, uh, and, and sometimes that's fun. You know, if they, if they're just out there to have a good time, that's, that's great. Um, but then I think like other crazy one, it's, there's different kinds of crazy. I mean, you'll have rounds out there that'll go like an hour longer than they'll need to because people are like, uh, marking six inch putts and asking you what ways it's going to break and whatever. I mean, there, that's crazy to me. Um, and that'll happen every now and then. <laughs> so, um, and then you have like, definitely the thing that people often show interest in is the people who kind of go ballistic out there. I write a story in my book about a guy who starts throwing his bag around, uh, the course cause of the banana getting smushed in it and stuff. And, uh, um, you know, you'll have that every now and then as well. And so one of the things about caddy, and that's for sure is you, you, one day doing the next, you don't know what you're going to get. You really don't. It's uh, and it, we call it the golf bag lottery when we're waiting to get called up to the bag drop, you know, you might be, you might have uh, the worst round of your life, you know, the worst group you've ever had, but right in front of you and right behind you, people come in and they made this, bundle of money and they um it, are you know exchanged phone numbers and whatever with their people you just don't know what you're gonna and then vice versa you might be on the positive side that day that's one thing you have to learn as a caddy i've noticed the young caddies don't always get this is you can't get too high or too low you know like there's just gonna be some days guys don't tip you very well even though you did a good job and then there's gonna be some days where they hand you a lot of money even though you basically did nothing for them you know and 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 also personality wise and all that kind of stuff is part of it as well. So you, you can't get too high or too low. That's something I definitely have gotten better with, uh, you know, over the years. Yeah, I, I can, I can, I can let you know now, if I ever show up at whistling straights, uh, I tip really well, but expect it's going to be about a hundred, but I'm going to have a great time while I do it. <laughs> Yeah, no. And I, I want, I, I tell, I remind golfers, golf is supposed to be fun and it, it's fun times with people we care about usually. And, uh, let's, let's keep the main thing, the main thing today in my podcast that I recorded, we talked a little bit about how to pl plan a better golf trip. And one of the suggestions I had was maybe think twice about playing a serious match, you know, for money. And, my co-host disagreed with me and I'm like, Oh, I know everybody on Twitter is going to do. My point is that um, it's a different kind of place. It's a different kind of event. It's a, it's a different get together. And if you're one of those people who is going to get all upset because you lost, and I've seen people lose, you know, I've seen millionaires play for $5. I've seen 
people play for more than that, a lot more. You know, it's not about the amount of money. <laughs> it's just, it's a pride thing. And if it's going to uh, ruin your day, maybe maybe sit that one out because you're walking this, just these hallowed grounds, this beautiful plot of land. Somebody had a vision to take a flat piece of land and turn it into that. Uh, let's not lose perspective and uh, be grateful for where we're at. Absolutely. How, how often do you get out to uh, play Whistling Straits? How frequent would you say you do or do not at all? Very infrequently. I would say Whistling Straits is the course that most of the caddies play the least by far because who wants to walk it yeah. after caddying and stuff? So guys will play the other courses. To be honest, one of the challenges is it's so busy that uh, it's not as easy for us to get on as people think. And some guys just want to go elsewhere just because they want to be able to you know, be anonymous or whatever, but no, you, you know, I don't get out nearly as much as the young guys, I, the young guys, that's, de- you know, the ones who don't have to go home to a family. <laughs> they're the ones who take advantage of the free. I mean, it's like a, a perk. That's unbelievable. Especially oh. the guys who are here, you know, like just for the summer, you know, their home base is somewhere else and they go caddy there in the winter. And so that, I mean, they don't know people they, or they only know the other caddies. I mean, those guys play a ton. And uh, I get envious of that for sure. Do you, uh, do you play like, do you, do you play golf pretty frequently though? Like, or are you playing a lot in the area, even though you're not? Yeah. So like tomorrow I'm playing and it's going to set the tone. I have set the goal that uh, this year I'm going to play a lot more. Um, Yeah. You know, the, uh, that's a real goal because I want to get better. And, and to be honest, I got to start thinking about like when my, I have two kids in college, two yet one in high school and then a a little younger one, but it's not far off until I'm an empty nester. And I'm like, I got to start planning a little more seriously about what am I going to do when uh, all the kids are gone? And uh, I told my wife many a times, we got to, we got to get her playing more because I don't know that we know how to be like alone in the same room, like without, kids be in the center of the world or whatever. So um, there's a lot of things we're going to, you know, like couples, you know, can date and do all that kind of stuff, but golf's going to be one of those central activities. I, I really hope moving forward. Well, I'm, I mean that, that, and you know, it's going to help you for the future as a caddy when you are looping for someone and you say, you know, it's going to break a couple feet to the right. And when the guy says, are you sure you can say, yeah, cause I knocked it down yesterday. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's uh, it's definitely something. I mean, I play and I get out there and I take advantage of the free golf um, for sure. Um, and then there's other times where I've gotten out with guys like, little outings and stuff, but I'd, I'd like to, this year I've even thought about like, how do I plan my days off to, you know, most be most advantageous for getting, um, golf in. So now that, you know, I'll, I'll have another driver in the house in a few months, she'll turn 16. It really frees you up to not have to be, you know, it's I I don't know. I think I meant, I heard you Ross mentioned you have a kid, but uh, I don't know about you, Jack, but you know, when those little buggers need to be driven here and there and everywhere, it, that's a, it, it does affect your golf game. I'm sure well, I, I could imagine. I don't have West, a kid, but I could imagine. Wesley will be, will be four um, in about seven weeks now. And 
our recent investment was I got him the little baby putter. So he comes oh, yeah. with Yeah, me. you'll have to look. And There's a guy on Twitter, by the way, selling uh, toddler golf bags. You'll have to. It's I, like I did see that. I was, yeah, he's killing it, man. Uh, Tyler Nielsen, I think is his name. And yeah. uh, like what a. Um, hey, that's a free plug, by the way, Tyler. You're, yeah, you're <laughs> no, the um, well, I'm thought, what a great idea. Golf is the like the best industry to get in, like to come up with an idea because most it's a demographic with a lot of like upper middle class people and men who like will buy anything you basically sell them. And so, I'm like, <laughs> I'll think, I, I try to think about what can I think of, but I never do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Wesley, I was bringing the plastic little tykes plastic clubs he'd bring out but then he all he would do is ride in the cart last year until we got to the green and then he would want to putt yeah and so yeah. i so i i had invested i got him a little it's like a two and a half foot putter and he rides in the cart until we get to the green and when we get to the green he grabs his ball he grabs his putter he throws it down and he keeps tapping it until it goes in the hole that's awesome that's awesome start him early baby yeah that's right Got um, I'm, I'm looking at college scholarship here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Golf game uh, might be a whole lot better knowing that that's secured for in the future, Ross. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, but Mark, uh, last question that I kind of had, I don't know if Ross has anything more that he wanted to uh, ask you about as we're getting close to an hour here, but what is kind of just your, your biggest takeaway from this journey that you found yourself on now as a caddy what's what's the biggest thing you've learned or um just just the biggest kind of realization that you've had about everything that, yeah. that's taken you here yeah uh, like i was mentioning earlier i it really goes back to there's always hope there's always a next shot there's joy in the journey um you know the the shanks don't define us uh it's the good ones that keep us coming back and that you know fill our hearts and uh, there's more to <clears throat> there's more to all of us than uh, than our worst moments, and there's certainly more to all of us than our worst shots on a golf course. And so we, you know, can't get too worked up about it. And uh, instead, enjoy the journey. Look forward to the next shot. There's always hope, and uh, and and thankful that you know there's new beginnings. And so you know, one of the things that I see that applied to is how often I see players, you know, no matter what round they've had, they shake hands on the 18th and what are they doing? They're looking forward to the next one, you know? So there's always, there's always a, an open door to walk through. There's new beginnings. If we're, if we're open and humble enough to take a look at it, there's a lot of joy in that journey. Absolutely. Ross, you got anything else before we go and let Mark out of here? I yeah, I do have just one final question, Mark. I was just interested with since you wrote this book and, you know, just kind of gave insight on your life and everything that's gone on. How has your life changed just since that book has, you know, been out and the success it's had? And do we think maybe potentially down the road we see a sequel to Caddy Tales? Yeah, no, it's it's I wouldn't say my life has changed dramatically yet, except for that it has only giving me the um, desire to find a, a few more of those open doors. Actually, next Monday, I'm speaking to a group of golf course superintendents. So that would be an example of a door that's opened uh, specifically because of the book. Somebody read the book and thought it'd be a, I'd be a good speaker for their group. And I'm humbled by that. I'm super excited and thankful for it. 
And I really hope that there will be more opportunities like that in the future, but there's no doubt going to be uh, more books for sure. That's uh, that's something, you know, it's, it's um, the first one was maybe a little easier to write because it, it was my life, you know, um, the, the future ones are not maybe flowing as easily or as quickly. Uh, cause caddy tales I wrote like in a matter of a few weeks, you know, and, uh, it's not maybe flowing as easily now, but there's no doubt it's, it's going to happen. And, uh, and so that's, a would love to see, I'd love to keep caddying, but I'd also love to be able to maybe do more speaking engagements, do, uh, more books. And then, maybe that'll open up some doors as far as some online, you know, whether it's affiliate marketing or merchandise sales or whatever, but uh, that'll take a while to maybe take any, gain any steam, but yeah, uh, really just thankful for some open doors. I'm very thankful for having you on Mark. We greatly appreciate your time for yeah. joining us on the podcast and would love to have you back on another time to continue yeah. to check golf, man. It was a Yeah, that was a real on. privilege guys. So thank you so much and good luck to you. And uh, if anybody wants to find me, they can find me at caddy tales, Mark, the caddy. There's the book available on Amazon and uh caddy tales podcast available on all of the podcast networks. So thanks for letting me give a plug to that. But uh, I also wish you guys the best. Great job. Thank you very much, Mark. We appreciate that. And to everyone out there who is interested, I'll have all of Mark's where you can find Caddy Tales on Amazon, where you can find him on X at Mark the Caddy. I'll have that all tagged down in the description for the people who are watching this live right here, right now, so they can find all of your stuff there. But with Caddy Tales too, whatever is coming next for you, Mark, we all follow you on social media and are very much forward looking, uh, much very much looking forward to whatever comes next, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great Absolutely. night. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. One more time, Mark Malatz, better known as Mark the Caddy on X. Make sure to go give him a follow. Greatly appreciate having him on. It's going to wrap up today's episode of On Tap Golf to everyone who tuned in or uh, watched this live on YouTube or on social media. We greatly appreciate you showing some support. We'll see you next time on Golf On Tap.